the HBP studio. You're listening to the 87th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP. I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we enjoy a beer with Keith Moon before a Bowie Bay Sox game, see ghosts with Yandy Diaz and the Tampa Bay Rays, and special guest Dr. Julian Rivera, the athletic trainer of the University of Miami baseball program, joins us to talk physical therapy in baseball. But first, we're going to enjoy a beer. And in my hand, I have an absolutely delicious beer called Thank You, Mr. Marzen, which is a Marzen, a German style of beer, from a good American local brewery called Firm Brewing Company in Gambrels, Maryland. And I'm going to take a drink. And you know what's very close to Gambrels, Maryland? First off, I know that you don't know where Gambrels, Maryland is. You're a very smart person, but I didn't know where Gambrills Mill, Gambrills, Maryland is, or was. Gambrills, Maryland is actually about a 15 minute drive to the Bowie Bay Sox. And the Bowie Bay Sox, for those of you who've been listening the past month or so, the Bowie Bay Sox are the double A team of the Baltimore Orioles. And they have potentially a lot of future baby Orioles on that team. And it's very enjoyable to watch them. For example, on the Bowie Bay Sox, they have outfielder, Colton Kowser. They have infielder Cuban second baseman slash shortstop slash third baseman Cesar Prieto. They also have another infield infielder Kobe Mayo, another infield Connor Noby. They all play for the Bay Sox. I mean, they are the the Bay Sox have tremendous prospect talents from their out from their outfield, from their infield. There is an absolute log jam at the double A Bowie Bay Sox. For example, Cesar Prieto, he played a game last week. In on at third base, he's traditionally a second baseman. They have so much talent that they have to spread these guys out and play them out of position. And the log jam for the Baltimore Orioles doesn't stop at the double A team. The triple A team, the Norfolk Tides, they have Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. The Orioles are absolutely stacked with the top 100 prospects who almost all of them happen to be infielders, with the exception of Colton Gowser. And of course, they're injured top prospect, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, who's, who's going to play for the Baltimore Orioles in 2023. Are all of these infielders at the AA Bowie Bay Sox, at AAA Norfolk Tides, are they going to help the Orioles over the next two seasons in 2023, 2024? I think so. Because right now, the Orioles really only have two pieces that you can see continuing with the Orioles for a few uh, a few more years, which are Jorge Mateo and Ryan Mountcastle, who are both playing in the infield for the Baltimore Orioles. And again, we've been talking about the Orioles a lot this the past few uh, past month or so. Right now, the Orioles have already won 66 games, which is the most wins they've had since 2017 when they won 75 games. And 2017 was a much different world than we are in 2022, five years later. Right now, the Orioles are only two and a half games behind the last wild card spot in the American League. My suggestion to you, spend some time at the local brewery in where where did, where was it that's right gambrills maryland and then go see a Bowie bay Sox game but hold on my friend take a taxi take an uber a lyft a maven walk hitchhike take a bus or have a designated driver your family your your brother your sister your your your, your cousin whoever because as i've said this before do not drink and drive don't be tony la Russa and drink and drive and also, don't be like the Atlanta Braves left fielder slash designated hitter, Marcelo Zuna, 
who was charged with driving under the influence back on Friday, the 19th of August, at 4 a.m. It's incredible that Marcelo Zuna has gotten himself now in trouble with the law the last two years. Those of you who remember, last year, Marcelo Zuna was charged or at least arrested with domestic abuse. We actually talked about Marcelo Zuna's issues back in episode 38 when he was charged with aggravated assault. He threatened to kill his wife. And it turns out that apparently his wife had been arrested like the year before in Miami because she assaulted him. And we talked about this again in episode 38 about the uh, the horrible conditions I'm sure that their unfortunate children are growing up and seeing their parents acting out this way. But anyways, this is not about his domestic issue. This is about he was drinking and driving, which you should not do. Don't go to the brewery and then don't go to a baseball game while driving there. No, go to the brewery, but get driven or take a freaking cab. I'm always flabbergasted. I always think the last people in this country that should be arrested for drinking and driving are rich people. Are rich people, wealthy people, etc. You could hire someone to drive you anywhere you want. I want to have a chauffeur. I want to be driven anywhere. I don't want to be wasting time in traffic, not being able to do reply to emails, take phone calls, send out text messages, read whatever it is that you need to do. I've always wanted a chauffeur. And if I had like Marcelo Zuna type of money, I would hire a chauffeur, maybe not even full time, but like saying like, hey, you know what? I may have a little too many, too much drinks. I want a full time driver that I know is right outside who's sober and nobody gets hurt. Not you, not the driver and not any other innocent person. And that made me think of the greatest drummer, the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time, Keith Moon, who was the drummer for a very famous British rock band of the 60s and the 1960s and the 1970s called The Who. This guy would wake up every single, Keith Moon. Again, I am not saying that anyone should be an alcoholic. If you wanna have a drink, have a drink. If you don't wanna drink, don't drink. But if you're going to enjoy yourself a little too much, take precaution. Look, Keith Moon is your prototypical rock star. I don't know if Keith Moon will like baseball, by the way, but I'm gonna tell you about Keith Moon. He would wake up, he would drink brandy, and then he would drink an entire bottle of Dom Perignon, which is champagne, sparkling wine from France. Because if it's from Spain, it has to be called Cava. If it's from Italy, it has to be called Prosecco. If it's from the U.S., it has to be called sparkling wine. So only sparkling wine from France is called champagne. He would drink an entire bottle of expensive Dom Perignon. <laughs> this guy loved to drink so much. Unfortunately, he actually was an alcoholic. And that's you can learn more about Keith Moon on the Internet. He was like, you know what? I don't have a driver's license. I can't even, I don't even know how to drive. I'm gonna hire a chauffeur to take me to the pubs so I don't have to worry about any of this nonsense. He would be driven around in a lilac colored, for those of you who forget third grade colors, lilac is basically, for us guys, it's just purple. He would, he would be driven around in a light purple colored Rolls Royce Silver Cloud 3. You cannot get any more rock star than that a Rolls Royce Silver Cloud 3. Look that up. Again, Keith Moon's the greatest drummer of all time. He hired his chauffeur, a guy by the name of John Mears, back in 1970. And Mears, he recollected about Keith Moon, and he said every day Keith Moon would get up around noon. We would drive to Soho in London, because obviously Keith Moon is English. He lived in he didn't have to live in London, but that's where all the most of the recording studios were. Keith Moon would be driven to record sessions with the who in soho which is a neighborhood in london then after that the afternoon sessions of recording 
they would pick up money from a bank and then they would just go from pub to pub to pub. When the pubs would close, then John Mayers would drive Keith Moon in his Rolls Royce Silver Cloud 3 lilac color to a gentleman's club. And the, the gentleman's clubs in England are not like here. The gentleman's clubs is literally just only men are allowed. There are no women in there. It's just men at, at a place called the A&R Club, which was frequented only by musicians. And then it would be open until the pubs opened again. And, he, and John Mayers would go and drive him to more pubs. So all this done was like in Soho. The A&R Club was by Tottenham Court by Tottenham Court Road, which is a tube station, or here in America, we would say a metro station, a subway station. But believe me, Keith Moon did not take the tube. He didn't take the metro. He didn't take the subway. He was driven around in those Rolls Royce. Then after the, when the pubs were open, he would, again, he would go over to uh, Fritzrovia, which is another neighborhood just west of Soho. Or, or it's, it's still in Soho. Never mind. Fritzrovia. It's a smaller neighborhood until three or four in the morning. John Mears would drop him off at, at Keith Moon's house and they would do it all over again the next day. This is how Marcelo Zuna should do it. But he's an athlete. He should not be drinking every single night. Not at all. But if he is, if anyone is, if you are, you're not an athlete, don't drive. Even though Keith Moon never played baseball, he never even played cricket, which is the cousin of baseball. Keith Moon has an American connection here because he actually owned a home in L.A. in the area of Malibu. Actually, to be exact, he had a home. He built a home in a place called Trancas, Trancas which is right by my favorite beach in Malibu, which is called El Matador Beach, El Matador Beach, which is absolutely gorgeous. If any of you are in Southern California or planning to go to the LA area, go check out El Matador Beach. You have to get a car there. Don't drink because there's no public transportation in Malibu because, you know, rich people are rich people don't like public transportation because they don't want the commoners to come into the neighborhood. <laughs> and my last thing about Keith Moon at his house in Trancas, in a small neighborhood just right next to Malibu, his next-door neighbor was the great actor Stephen Steve McQueen. And they had a lot of issues. <laughs> Steve McQueen was a recluse. He was crazy. And Keith Moon was crazy in a different way. But anyways, you know what? This is a baseball podcast. And thankfully for Keith Moon, there were no social media in, in the 1970s. There was only magazines, which basically you had to wait a week or even a month to stay connected with your favorite artist, to, to with your favorite actor, to your favorite musicians. But here in the year 2022, we have social media and HBPs on social media as well. Our Twitter account is at HBP4040 and our Instagram account is Hipster Baseball Podcast. Even though Keith Moon tried to meet Steve McQueen, and he did, Steve McQueen was not a happy man. But right now, the Tampa Bay Rays are trying to meet the New York Yankees at the top of the American League East Division. And the Yankees aren't happy about it. But I'm talking about the Rays. And specifically, I want to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays third baseman, Cuban Yandy Diaz. He's heating up at just the right time. Just about a week ago, they had a three-game series up in New York. In that three-game series, he hit, he, he hit what, what he had. He had five hits at, in 15 at-bats. He had a 300 average. Of those five hits, three of them were extra bases. He had three doubles, and he drove in five RBIs. And then the very next series, the Tampa Bay Rays went, uh, came home to Tampa, and they played the Kansas City Royals. In that series, he went four for eight. Basically, every other time he was at bat, Yandy Diaz had a hit. And of those four hits, two of them were doubles. One of them were, were, was a home run. 
And every time I see the Rays, I always expect Yandy, Yandy Diaz to get on bat now over the past week or so because that's that's how he's been playing over the last seven games. Yandy Diaz has a 346 batting average. For the season, his OPS plus is 137. And again, OPS plus, your, your average baseball player is 100. Yandy Diaz is at 137 this year. One thing I've always scratched my head about Yandy Diaz, he's a big dude. If you look him up, if you see him playing for your team, maybe you're a Tampa Bay Rays fan, he's six foot two, 215 pounds. He's just a big dude. And his career high in home runs is 14. Let me say that again. Yandy Diaz, career high home runs is 14, which he hit back in 2019. Right now he has eight. I I just never understood why he he had he hits so little. He hits a lot of extra base hits, but he hits very little home runs. I don't know if because partially I'm sure he plays in Tropicana Field, the worst field, or maybe one of the two worst fields, along with whatever it is park that the Oakland Athletics play at now. That certainly will suppress your home runs if you're a hitter. But back to the Tampa Bay Rays trying to meet the New York Yankees at the top of the division. Right now, they're in second place. They're eight and a half games behind the Yankees. Think about the Yankees. Two months ago, the Yankees had the best record in Major League Baseball. Today, the New York Yankees don't even have the best record in the city of New York. (laughs) That honor belongs to the New York Mets. The Rays, they're tied for one of the three wildcard spots in the American League. And as usual, the Rays' defense and their pitching and their relief is amazing. They have the fourth best run prevention in Major League Baseball. They've only given up 477 runs this year, which is fourth best. They are amazing at run suppression. That's really the only reason why they're in the wild card hunt, in the playoff hunt, and they're really not going to track down the New York Yankees. The Yankees will win the American League East Division, but Tampa Bay Rays always up there because of their tremendous defense. And so we can start planning to get your playoff tickets in Tampa because are the Rays going to play in October? Are the Rays going to play in the spooky season by uh, close to Halloween? Are they going to play deep enough near Halloween? Maybe. I certainly think they're going to the playoffs. I don't know how deep they're going, to the, they're going to go to the playoffs. But speaking of spooky season, October and Halloween, the Rays about two weeks ago, they went up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin to play the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't know if you know, but... It's part of the negotiation with the owners that the Major League players have to stay in a minimum four-star hotel or five-star hotel in every single city that they go to. And so in Milwaukee, the Tampa Bay Rays stay at the Fister Hotel, which is actually called, which is actually spelled P-F-I-S-T-E-R, which I guess is a German last name with this P-F. You think about Michelle Pfeiffer. Her name is not with an F. Her, ma- her name, the actress Michelle Pfeiffer, her name was what? P-F. And then you have Fister the faucets, for those of you who are go undergoing home remodeling or have gone under the horrors of home remodeling, Fister makes really great water faucets. <laughs> Fister Hotel, Tampa Bay's Rays are sitting there, sitting there, staying there. Fister Hotel is an historical hotel in downtown Milwaukee because it was built back in 1893. But a lot of Major League Baseball players have said they've seen ghosts or have dealt with paranormal activity at the Fister Hotel. I've never been to Fister Hotel. I've never been to Milwaukee, but I don't want to stay at a place that's potentially that people say it's haunted. Going back to Yandy Diaz, Yandy Diaz is deathly afraid of ghosts. <laughs> he has said, and I'm quoting him, all I want is to not have ghosts in my room, end quote. <laughs> and so Yandy Diaz, 
about two weeks ago, he actually was considering renting his own, like at, taking money out of his pocket as opposed to having hotel provided money or hotel provided uh, team provided accommodations, taking money out of his own pocket to stay at a different hotel because he did not want to stay at the Fister Hotel. <laughs> Finally, apparently they had gone under remodeling the Fister Hotel and they have a completely new tower and they and the the rest of the team stayed in the old tower, which is apparently haunted. But Yandy Diaz stayed in the new tower of the Fister Hotel. <laughs> but of course, when you let people know that you're afraid of something, especially guys, guys are going to give you crap. Guys are going to play on that and they're going to make your life miserable because obviously the jokesters in the Tampa Bay Rays team, they were taping cartoon ghost on Yandy Diaz's locker room. And they also were putting words on his locker room saying in Spanish, because of course Andy Diaz's first language is Spanish because he's Cuban. They would they put they taped to his locker cuidado, which means watch out. <laughs> Friggin' bastards. <laughs> but you know what? Yandy Diaz is not the only one that has had these ghost issues. Because the first baseman also designated hitter, G Man Choi, who's from South Korea, he has he says he's he believes that he's actually had encounters with ghosts. That that these encounters have included ghosts, ghosts. I'm sorry, these encounters with a ghost have included hugs and whispers. <laughs> but I don't think G Man Choi is scared of them as Yandy Diaz. <laughs> I'm just thinking. You got to look up Yandy Diaz. This is not a man that that looks like he would be afraid of most anything. And to publicly come out and say that he's afraid of ghosts is kind of funny. It humanizes these baseball players because they're like very, they're some of the best athletes in the world, obviously. And uh, G-Man, G-Man Choi, you know, I, I am not going to say what he has or hasn't experienced in his life. But again, the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe maybe the ghosts are going to help push Tampa Bay Rays back into the World Series just like 2020. I don't know. And that's what we're going to look at in September and obviously in October during the playoffs. But all this talk about giving the Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee a bad name, it reminds me. There's actually a hotel in St. Pete, Pete Beach, Florida, where some of the visiting teams that play the Tampa Bay Rays stay at. There's a four, I think it's a four-star hotel on St. Pete Beach, Allegedly, it's haunted. Unfortunately, the HBP General Counsel told me not to say not to say the name of the hotel because they may sue us, and we don't want that. I'm going to take another drink, and hopefully, uh, no ghost is going to take over the podcast. So, there's a hotel on St. Pete Beach that's named after a man. That's all I'm going to say. You can just look that up. There's a hotel on St. Pete Beach, Florida, that's named after a man. That is allegedly haunted by ghosts because other baseball players have also said the same thing that they've had clothes moved, they've had doors knocked, they've had uh, knocking on the doors when no one's on the other side of the door, people getting touched, not in a you know disgusting way, but in an uncomfortable way, like there's no one in the room. Why? Why do I feel someone touching me? Anyways, maybe. Like in wrestling, you get put in a sleeper hold. Maybe you see ghosts before you pass out. Because right now, the Tampa Bay Rays are in a position to put the wild card spot in a sleeper hold and not let it go. Right now, over the next 10 days, they're going to play games in Miami against the Miami Marlins. Then they're going to receive, they're going to host the New York Yankees in Tampa. Then they also host the Boston Red Sox. And then they go back up to New York sometime next week. So in about 10 days, the Tampa Bay Rays can just put a sleeper hold. They can beat the Miami Marlins, which are not a good team. 
They can beat the Yankees, which are struggling. The Boston Red Sox are the worst team in the, in the American League East Division. And they're like, boom, we're in the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Rays will see you in the playoffs dressed up as ghosts. <laughs> so I call upon all Rays fans when you go to the stadium, dress up as ghosts during the playoffs. That'll be a good look thing. Whether you're driving around looking for the most beautiful beach in Malibu, like I told you, El, Malador, El, El Matador Beach, El Matador Beach, or you're going to see beautiful beaches around St. Pete, Florida, which, by the way, people, I've said this before, the most beautiful beaches in the continental U.S. are on the west coast of Florida, from Pensacola all the way down to Naples, and that obviously includes Bradenton, Florida, St. Peach, St. Peach, St. Beach, no, St. Pete Beach, Clearwater, Dunedin, etc. Our show sponsor is going to be there for you because good times convenience stores with gas prices going down we're taking one last summer vacation good time convenience stores are waiting to attend you everything from gasoline to coffee anything to power your road trip and there is nothing better than not having to worry about your trip good times convenience stores is your only stop on the road and speaking of the Rays going to Miami to play the Marlins next week, we're going to stay in Miami with our next guest. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Julian Rivera, who's a sports physical therapist and an athletic trainer at the University of Miami, specifically with the baseball program. Dr. Rivera, welcome to Hipster Baseball Podcast. Awesome, Dorian. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your flexibility as well. We are always happy to talk about baseball, especially anything to do with Miami being a, phys a sports physical therapist, that sounds super interesting to me. And a lot of times when we when we were talking about not just baseball, but any sports, and especially a team that we root for, there's always the the variable of, oh, will this player play well this year? Will this coach be connect with the players? But one thing we always know is going to happen is injuries. So obviously you have a wonderful job to make sure that these high-performance college and professional athletes stay on the field, the pitch, the basketball court, whatever. How did you, what drove you to focus on uh, physical therapy and specifically sports? Yeah, I'm definitely the guy behind the scenes to try to keep everyone together, bandaged and get them right back out on the field. No, I've always had a passion for baseball. I played baseball in high school, obviously not to that level of college abilities, but it was one of those things I, I got hurt. And so that led me to kind of see the realm of sports medicine working with the athletic trainer and obviously unfortunately having surgery for myself and almost kind of going through that process as, as an athlete where you lose self-identity. You go through that whole process of surgery, working with the doctors, multiple follow-ups, and then finally working with the rehab specialist to kind of get you back to doing what you want to do. And I'm pretty fortunate that I'm still able to obviously not to the level of their ability, but obviously for what I need to do for my job, I still need to be able to throw a baseball, hit a baseball, and field a baseball um, to be able to help them get back to doing what they want to do. Earlier in your career, you had worked with the Houston Astros, I believe it's the high A team down over in, up in Kissimmee, up obviously uh, up from Miami. What was that experience like going to, going from, you know, normal clinic work to focusing on sports and especially these young men who are dedicating day and night and to, to, to improve in baseball and also try to stay healthy? Yeah. And so that at this point now, almost, I believe, nine years ago, uh, that's what, like you said, that's when they were back in Kissimmee. Um, and it really opened my eyes working within a professional sport, 
working within their, their training facility back in Kissimmee um, and seeing these kids, most of my team, uh, when I was at their trainer coverage for that team were international. And so maybe I want to say five or six uh, were actually American born. And so obviously different cultures, different dynamics. Uh, the majority of the guys spoke Spanish um, and helping them assimilate into the, the country and, and also kind of help them transition just for basic life skills on top of them or me helping them actually play baseball and, and reduce the risk of injury, preventing injury and return them back from injury. Um, but no, for me, it opened my eyes to professional baseball, managing a team, managing a very diverse team. And, and obviously the communication aspects up and down from the front office to the coaching staff and also to the rehab staff, because that was my main job now then as an athletic trainer. So it definitely helped me and then realize my passion to then continue my education to be a physical therapist and work as a physical therapist in that realm of rehab. And now I'm full circle, now doing both athletic training and, and physical therapy. That's very interesting. And, I, and I'm sure you're able to draw upon your, your normal clinic work with normal people like us and also these highly yes. trained athletes. What's you, obviously as a, as a physical therapist, what's potentially maybe a pet peeve that you see with, with because part of your job, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I believe, is not just getting these young men and women, well, for the University of Miami baseball team, obviously, it's for these young men back on the diamond. But as a physical therapist, when you're working with your other patients, they it's about preventing them from coming to you. What's uh, what's something that you, that you see as like a pet peeve that if someone would do X, they would reduce the risk of injury, obviously, whether it's warming up, whether it's stretching certain things, what's something that you really see a lot of that you're like this can be easily prevented when it comes to so the sports me, movement so again my my journey has been a little different working in sports baseball world then leaving that just being strictly an outpatient ortho world working with the average population and then kind of coming back into athletics and so i saw everything um, but i think the main thing that i have seen and for physical therapy as a profession it's not just how much you know, obviously you're, you're credentialed, you pass your boards, you, you've done your continuing ed. That's sometimes not the, the important aspect of your job. And I think what really sells what we do is the education aspect and communicating with the patient and letting them know like, look, it's not just this is the injury. It's the whole you that you, that you let's say what we talked about before, like maybe you're not having a good baseline or you're not conditioning, not warming up. Um, and so I really think having that education and educating the patient on what they really need to be doing outside of just you seeing them for an hour or twice a week, that's nothing compared to the whole week that say that they're out about doing what they need to be doing. But I definitely think the education aspect is the number one that I think sometimes limits the patient's performance or success within therapy all about education and communicating that with everyone yes i i know we're not able we're not we don't have video here on the podcast but dr rivera is all um doubt he has <laughs> university of miami uh, like light sweater uh, you have uh posters yeah i think that's what mark field in the uh, the uh, fields what is the stadium called i forget right now fields yeah, uh, alex rodriguez basketball mark at mark light yep. fields whatever <laughs> that's so big shout out and that is 
uh, we focus a lot on major league baseball here, but at the same time, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Rivera is the uh, the athletic trainer for the baseball program. University of Miami is a powerhouse when it comes to college baseball, and you guys have are a basically professional. You guys are a uh, you guys pump out all these future pros, and that yes. must be it must Tied be incredible to, to work. Yes. <laughs> what have you worked at other places where the um, the level of expectance of excellence and also yeah that that expect expectation is as high as at the university of miami and their baseball team so i i worked as a student athletic trainer back when i was at Ithaca college and it's you can't compare i mean granted it was a d3 program i mean they do very well in d3 however it's, it's a different game at d1 in the level like you said expectation and it's pretty impressive and it's one of those things, and I'm sure this is the same for multiple sports, but these guys don't necessarily come here for the academics. Their, their main focus is, is playing baseball. And I commend them. Obviously, I try to help them making sure that they understand, look, you're also here for the academic aspect, and that's a huge priority. Uh, and I have to work and balance, because normally in professional baseball, you don't have to balance around or work around academics where I'm like, okay, let's look at your schedule. Oh, I realize that you have biology 101 at this time. Let's try and coordinate rehab when you get out. You don't have that struggle, but it's it's one of those things that their priority, I mean, obviously, albeit, yes, they're here for school, but their their priority, each one of them, if you ask them, would say that they their dream is to play in major league baseball and get drafted. Being working in both, as we had mentioned earlier, you work both with uh, in a clinic with you know us normal people or weekend warriors, those of us who yeah. play at a co-ed softball league, even flag football or soccer league, soccer teams, whatever. And also, again, having this great exposure in baseball, both at the professional level and at a top tier college baseball program. How have you seen sports medicine or, as you say, that education, that knowledge, that communication has changed over the past five or 10 years or, or has it not changed? Yeah, and, and I think... It's a little bit, I guess, twofold. You can look at it a different way. So you can look at it just in terms of academics, in terms of the academic inflation that's been across not just physical therapy, but probably all of academics in terms of, okay, you are fine with just a bachelor's. Uh, and physical therapy was just a master's degree, let's say 15 years ago. And now it's become a doctor. Same thing with athletic training where you've been fine with just the bachelor's and maybe gone on to get a master's, but now the change is now getting a doctorate. And so for academics, it's been potentially inflation where you just need to continue your education. And I'm also have to go through that whole process where, okay, I, I've done my, my doctorate, but now I realize where I need to become more specialized. I need to then finish my postdoctorate degree in, in sports and work off of what I've learned in athletic training. Same thing. So you see physical therapists graduate from their physical therapy program as entry level, but they're a generalist. And so you have to then continue your education. And then you look at it through the side of the patient. And so you see in lieu of social media, uh, where these physical therapists now are trying to be the flashiest, or trying to be the most innovative or like, oh, look at me doing this specific exercise with, with me on the BOSU or handstands and, and doing something crazy where they're trying to generate influence and, and trying to be like, oh, wow, and get followers that way to, to try and push kind of what they're doing for physical therapy. 
And, and that's, I think, been the change over the last five years where now you're losing touch of what you went to school for and how one actually gets better and looking at more of the clinical milestones rather than just being flashy and edgy and what look, looks cool in a five-second clip. Continuing on that education, potentially another education question is the either a youngster that's interested in getting into physical therapy and specifically sports or someone who's in a different career path and saying, you know what, I really enjoy helping people recover and I really like sports. I want to combine those things. What advice would you give to someone wanting to pivot to see if this is a career for them or obviously a youngster who is very bullish on on what you do? So it's, it's definitely challenging to get your foot in the door. And so being an athlete, I think helps because you, you see the other side, you see what it's like working in or being an athlete and being in athletics. And so, you know, the time that goes into that realm, that setting work, workplace. So I think that definitely helps. What helps as well as is your soft skills. And so like what I was talking about before, it's not so much about your, your knowledge and what you know and what you've done, but how you deliver it, how you educate, how you speak with patients. So many times that you're just there listening to them and coaching them and, and letting them know that you're there for them and be like, oh, what you did is awesome. Like, see what you did and, and, and encourage them and help them realize the small accomplishments because obviously for them, they're, they're seeing their injury or potential lack of every single day. So they don't, they don't see the change. And obviously we're potentially seeing them every other day or three times a week. And so we're able to pick up on those improvements. But I think on top of the soft skills and making sure that you're able to communicate, I think always saying yes and not just pushing people away and saying no and being there as a resource for them goes a long way. At the end of the day, our job is selfless. And, and we give so much of our time and energy to the patient that it it's, can be very demanding and, and draining. And so understanding what it takes, I think, goes a long way. And, and empathy uh, will help. And I mean, with that, you you will be successful. I want to ask you, you obviously the University of Miami is in Coral Gables, you know, a part of part of Miami and the, the baseball, the, the baseball team travels all over Florida, all over the East Coast. And, uh, and, uh, and when they usually go to the College World Series, you're going thousands of miles away. How do you balance traveling with the team or and then taking care of all your other domestic obligations? <laughs> it's so being in professional baseball, you travel a lot. So in the professional baseball world, in Major League Baseball, you're traveling 50% of your season, you're away. And so if you are the rare, lucky ones, I'm trying to think of another organization. I can't think of one that comes to the top of my head, but I'm thinking of uh, Arizona, where it's like your spring training facility is also at your Major League ballpark. Okay, so Miami, Martin, there are also a potential where like you're not so far from your home base. So it's one of those things that you are lucky that you can spend time home uh, with your wife or your significant other. So it's challenging. And that's one of the main reasons why I left to find a better work-life balance. And so I fell in love with the, the college atmosphere. And, and for us, again, I know it's probably also extreme relatively if you compare it to a normal outpatient clinic, uh, whether you work nine to five or, or just Monday through Friday. We travel during the season. So four months out of that year, we're working. Um, I'm working pretty much 
Monday through Sunday. And through that season, we're traveling five weekends out of that, our span of when we, when we travel. And so the other five weekends, we're home. So it's one of those things that it's a different, obviously not as extreme, whereas Major League Baseball, you're, you're on call eight months out of the year or four months on, on call. And so it's one of those things, I'm, it's a good balance where I can at least have that exposure where it's okay, we're traveling at this point. I'm really good at traveling, packing what I need. Uh, but you definitely need a, a significant other that's understanding. I mean, my my wife, she's she also travels, uh, at least within the Miami area. So I, I definitely reciprocate and understand where maybe during the summer where I'm not traveling, where she's out and about and doesn't get home till six or eight. And so we don't both have to be understanding for a live that will work that requires a little bit more, again, selflessness to be able to do what we need to do. For the, for the patient because she's also a physical therapist. That's very interesting. And also definitely take something to take into account. If any, it's not just being a sports uh, a physical therapist in the sports world, but it's also uh, anything to do with sports. I want to throw you a quick curveball here. In uh, just a week or so ago, the star shortstop of the of the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., was suspended because of, uh, not suspected, but it was confirmed, uh, you know, physical uh, performance-enhancing drug. How, as... As a as some as an athletic trainer, what, what is there a process to make sure that your that a, an athlete doesn't inadvertently? I'm not, I don't I don't want you don't need to talk about Tatis Jr. But that process of hey guys, these are th- these are things you need you, you guys should not ingest. And if you if you have any questions, call on us. It's as a fan of baseball, it seems to me incredulous that Tatis Jr. it wasn't in constant contact with uh, his the athletic the athletic training team of saying this is what i'm taking xyz yeah and so it's one of those things that it's it's a shame obviously he's i mean arguably one of the the brightest players of mlb where it's like he's potentially the face of the organization obviously you could argue otherwise but the kids look up to him they they love him and so it's definitely a hit to baseball itself and mlb and you're right it does does kind of shed light on to is there more that you can do it could be doing it same thing for me like every day we we let these guys know that this is something that they need to be aware of and i mean every single person so for example obviously for fall ball uh we just started this is the first week of school and so we're having a lot of meetings and every single person that spoke said exactly that in terms of look be aware of what you're taking be aware of what you're putting into your body you can't trust any single person that's outside you have to be aware of the rules and regulations and cause and effect of what you do. At the end of the day, you do have to take ownership for your own body and what you put into it. And so we try to put up these guidelines and potential barriers so that they don't make the error. Obviously, they're only here for a certain amount of the day and they're outside and, and can be exposed to other individuals or, or exposures to other Something that that can pop them for NCAA rules and, and drug violations. And so, again, we educate them. We try to give them countless seminars to, so they are aware of what they can actually take. Uh, and we try and have certain personnel in place. So, for example, our so if they are taking some type of supplement, we we try and get them in hold of our our dietitian to make sure that it is screened properly. In uh, that way, there, there's no red flags for them to even for any type of drug test since we test them once for the fall and spring semester for the university but for ncaa they test randomly so it can be 
once or twice or even multiple times throughout the whole year. I find that incredibly interesting. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. At the same time, we want to be respectful of your time. I love highlighting local places uh, on this podcast, whether it's a brewery, a restaurant, coffee shop. Where's one of one of or a few of your go-to places in Miami? It doesn't have to be the fanciest place in the world, but you just love going to stop there for a drink, a coffee, or a restaurant. So I, I have several. Um, I've been here in Miami now. I don't know what duration makes you Miami. I, I'm not I think sure. it's six months in Miami. I mean, let's be honest. All the New Yorkers and everybody else moving to Miami. So again, I'm originally from New York, so I'm, I'm one of those guys. So I've been here now six, going on to probably six years now in Miami. So um, I think when I first moved to Miami, I found this one hidden spot um, called the Wet Lab. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's actually on the Erasmus campus. So it's, it's our marine campus that's on your way to kb skate yeah uh, oh it's um it's it's the restaurant that's right on the water in, yes, in so the marine I biology believe, department yes yes i've so been I, there I a couple times yes salt fish or salt life actually excuse me just moved in i want to say maybe right after the pandemic i could be mistaken i know the pandemic things have changed um but again the view the water the food and even they actually have a great beer craft beer selection so i love it Another place, obviously, right down the street from University of Miami is Havana Harry's. I think it's, again, one of the best Cuban cuisine restaurants in all Miami. Again, our, you have Versailles, you have La Carreta, but I think Havana Harry's quality, I think, actually is probably the best, in my opinion. And I, uh, lastly is Tank Brewing Company. So I, I love the sours, and I, they everything on their list, their menu is, I think, a sour. <laughs> you're speaking my language. Tank, tank Brewing, that's the one by the airport, right? No, so I believe that is a uh, beat culture, right by the airport. Isn't Tank the one that's like in a huge industrial? Yes, it's, so it's up in Doral. Yes, yeah, that that yeah, I've, I've been there actually. I've I've uh, I've had a Tank. Uh, I, from, I forget what kind of beer, but I've had Tank Brewery on the podcast. I think like a year or so ago. But yeah, but nice. I know that place. So they have a great outdoor section. Uh, I mean, obviously, most breweries are very relaxed, chill. We we bring our my wife and I we bring our dogs there, and we. It's a, Best time. Just relax and chill and drink. I know you're obviously you're the athletic trainer for the UM baseball uh, program. So that means you're a big shot on campus. I want to ask you to tell the people <laughs> over at the Marine Biology Department at UM. I love that place, but it's yeah. never open. It's never open. You're they're absolutely open, right. They're open between like the hours of 11 and 3 on a Tuesday and then the day after a hurricane or something like that. It's just there's <laughs> it's so frustrating to go. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in right. a lot and it, you can't enjoy it. So please, right. on behalf of me, please, uh, Dr. Rivera, tell, I'll, tell, I'll try tell and them, let them know. The <laughs> like here, take more of my money. Exactly. Yeah, I'm willing to give it over and help support University of Miami and also uh, going over to a UM college baseball team, a college baseball game. And I always tell people on this podcast that sometimes our own baseball club are, are doing well. They're in, re, you know, air quotes, rebuilding. But we can always go to a minor league game or a, our local college game and, and college uh Game and I'm always pumping up uh, going to see UM because it's, you guys are such a great, great program. And even over, you know, across the city over at, uh, at FIU, but uh, UM is is, uh, is a fantastic athletic program and uh, yeah, a, a baseball program. So I highly encourage everyone to go to you to the uh, University of Miami College baseball game in the what in the, the season starts in February, right? So yes, so there's 2023. Uh, it'll be February, mid February. We'll, and, we'll open up. 
And hopefully you don't see Dr. Rivera in action because that means someone <laughs> got injured and he's hustling onto the field. <laughs> so hopefully yes. you don't see him action. You, you, I, I you get my cardio him. in during the season. <laughs> You go see him at at one at, uh, at doing during his clinic work for your preventative things. But Dr. Rivera, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And if you want to take us away, uh, again, who you are, where you work, and I want to thank you for for your time here on uh, HVP. Perfect. No, thank you so much again for your time, and it's been a pleasure. Uh, first time doing this, and it's been a blast. So hopefully, we can do this again in the future. Uh, but yeah, so. I'm, Dr. Julian Rivera, I'm the athletic trainer and physical therapist for the University of Miami's baseball team and help our guys from start to finish. I want to thank Dr. Julian Rivera, athletic trainer of the University of Miami baseball program for joining us this week. I also want to thank a few new listeners from Victoria, Malta, Slow England, which is about an hour west of London, Bratislava, Slovakia, Cumming, Georgia, and a town in Idaho called Dalen, which actually means the heart of uh, all, owl, not owl, the heart of all. Dalen. Thanks for listening, everybody. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, or Spotify. A picture of my drink will be on Instagram and Twitter. Let's get together next week for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye.